This program was recorded October 13th, 2010. ReachMD XM160 now presents Second Opinion Live with hosts Dr. Smat Bernholtz and Michael Greenberg. Welcome to Second Opinion Live on ReachMD Radio XM160, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Matt Bernholtz. Yes, you are, and I'm Dr. Michael Greenberg, and this is going to be the best episode of Second Opinion Live forever and ever. And ever, and that is no joke, Michael, because it is a special time of year in medicine. Yes, it is, my friend. It's the season of recognition when outstanding contributions to the medical field are honored with awards. The Nobel Prize for Physiology or Medicine was awarded earlier this month to biologist Robert Edwards for developing in vitro fertilization, which has helped millions of couples across the world overcome their infertility issues and pave the way for modern stem cell research. And if you've been keeping up with the news lately, maybe you've also heard about another huge award for groundbreaking research, this year's Ig Nobel Prizes. That's right. The 2010 Ig Nobel Prize ceremony was held on September 30th in Cambridge, Massachusetts. In the words of the awards committee, the Ig Nobel Prizes are given for achievements that first make people laugh and then make them think. Like our show. Like our show. A little later in the show, we'll talk to Mark Abrahams, founder of the Ig Nobel Prize, as well as editor-in-chief of the Annals of Improbable Research. I want one of those awards for our show. And seriously, we're also very excited to have Illinois Congressman Peter Roskam join us later on to help us launch an initiative we're starting right here on ReachMD. This coming Halloween, we're going to do something to help feed the hungry in our communities. It's called Candy Plus a Can. And we'll have the congressman on to talk about what he and other legislators in your districts can do to help. You can join in the conversation by emailing us at sol at reachmd.com, tweet or post on our Facebook page, or just call us on your phone at 888-MD1-REACH. But first, let's look at a few headlines from the world of medicine that have caught our attention lately. And we have very selective attention. Good news for busy surgeons. It might soon become a little easier to remember where you left your surgical sponges. Or your nurse. Or your nurse, and mainly your surgical sponges. And make sure none are still inside the patient when you close up. The estimates on leaving sponges in the body range from 1 in 1,000 to 1 in 18,000 surgeries. And the problem a lot of us have seen firsthand is that once sponges get soaked in the surgical site, well, they're basically camouflaged and left in the body. Of course, they can cause infections, a whole lot of pain. But researchers at the University of North Carolina report a new way to keep track of surgical sponges, tagging them with barcodes. Yeah, the researchers reviewed nearly 3,000 surgical cases where sponges were outfitted with radio frequency identification, or RFID technology, which in this case means barcodes. A wand, like Harry Potter's wand, Mm -hmm. uh, with the phoenix feather, wasn't it, was waved over the patients to scan for barcodes in the same way checkout scanners work at the grocery store. And guess what, Matt? The scanning worked. Oh, my God. Over 21 sponges were found and removed. Give them an Ig Nobel. Will do. Mr. Harry Potter fan, the safety standard currently is to do a sponge count before and after procedures. An investigator said that that method isn't and shouldn't go away. But barcode scanner technology could be a good backup. Okay, no joke. This is serious. The business magazine Fast Company reported this week on a promising new high-tech mobility device for people with paralysis. A company called Berkeley Bionics has unveiled a pair of bionic legs. No jokes. They're called e-legs, which allows wheelchair-bound people to walk. I've seen the video. The e-legs are battery-powered braces that do the walking for them. The company says the device is able to observe the gestures the wearer makes, determine their intentions, and then act accordingly. Apparently, a real-time computer draws on special sensors to orchestrate every aspect of each stride. 
Yeah, you know, and it works similar to a robotic exoskeleton, if we're understanding it right. This company already makes them for the military, and they fit over a soldier's legs and torso to give him or her superhuman strength. Right, and the battery lasts about six hours. Well, well, the e-leg device weighs about only 45 pounds, so somebody in a wheelchair could lift it and put it on themselves, and it's in the video. You see them do it. The next step will be to test the legs in rehab settings during the next year. They're expensive, but they're awesome. Yeah, that'll definitely be something to see. And here's one more story that highlights some other high-tech marvels. It comes out of Popular Mechanics magazine, which has announced its own annual awards. And I'm telling you, it's definitely that season for recognition. And they call theirs the 2010 Breakthrough Awards. I want one of those, too. I want all of those. And the winners here include J. Craig Venter, who we talked about on this show in the spring when Dr. Venter announced he had created the world's first synthetic cell by stringing together a strand of DNA from stray parts. Easy as that and then placing it inside an empty bacterial cell, at which point it actually multiplied. Remember that uh, before that, Venter was actually known already for his central role in mapping the human genome, and he felt that the government was taking too long to do it. And another innovator Popular Mechanics calls out is ready for this. I get the award for pronouncing this name, Eidogen Oxen. <laughs> Matt gave me this name because he thought it was French. I wasn't touching it. He's an electrical engineer at UCLA who invented a way to use the modern cell phone as a microscope. You position a slide over the phone's camera lens. The phone shines an LED light with a built-in sensor onto the slide and converts the light bouncing off the sample into a digital hologram. According to Oxen, I said it right, the cell phone is key to the future, and it's only a matter of time before cell phone-based diagnostic tools will take over lab procedures. You have to pronounce his name to be able to buy one, though. I absolutely love this, though, because we're talking about essentially making tricorders from Star Trek the real deal, which anybody nerdy enough to know what I'm talking about is going to love that statement. And I can tell you, though, that these things were never used as cell phones in the show, so maybe we're ahead of science fiction for the first time. But you know, Michael, what's nice about this award is that it makes a very clear statement that people who achieve scientific breakthroughs should be celebrated as national heroes. But obviously, that's not going to happen until we address the diminishing level of scientific literacy, education, and productive output in this country. Yes. That's what I think. And we need an award, too. Okay, this is the perfect segue to today's guest, Mark Abrahams, who is on the line from his office in Massachusetts. He's co-founder and editor of the Science Humor magazine, The Annals of Improbable Research, and the man behind the IG Nobel Prize, which honors scientific achievements that make you laugh and make you think. Once again, like us, we need one of those awards, Mark. The 2010 Ig Nobel Prize ceremony took place recently on September 30th at Harvard's Sanders Theater. We've seen the video. You should watch it. And it's unlike any awards ceremony you've been to this year. This year, they hosted an opera about bacteria. The music was from Tales of Hoffman. I kid you not. And the prize itself is presented on stage by actual Nobel laureates. But unlike the Nobel Prize ceremony in Stockholm, if your speech goes on too long, a little girl marches on stage and yells, please stop, I'm bored. This is the Ig Nobel's 21st year. And with that, Mark, we are delighted to welcome you to Second Opinion Live. Hi, thanks for inviting me on. Great to have you with us. So, Mark, before we get started, you should probably know that Michael also has the capacity to act and sound like an eight-year-old girl Please stop, sometimes. Matt, I'm bored. <laughs> so he might cut Please. either one of us off when he gets bored. Well, if you're auditioning for a role in next year's ceremony, take it easy for a few months. We're not really looking until about halfway through the year's cycle. <laughs> okay. Pace uh, yourself, Michael. You gotta uh, pace uh, yourself. Right. So uh, my first question is, how did this incredibly unique and wonderful idea for recognizing unorthodox scientific achievement actually get started? Hmm, not just unique, but incredibly unique. Incredibly. Wow. <laughs> um, 20 years ago, I became the editor of a science magazine, and I found out that 
if that happens to you, you will suddenly start meeting all kinds of people who've done things you'd never dreamed of. And some of those people have done things that were both funny and seemed like everybody ought to know about this. You know, people ought to be coming up and rubbing their head or shaking their hand or something, but most of them, nobody would ever know they'd done it. So, so we thought, you know, we can do a little something to get some recognition for people. I have two questions, and they're definitely linked together. You'll see the link between these. Number one, have any of your winners also taken home an actual Nobel Prize? And number two, linked to that, is you're the author of a book which is called Why Chickens Prefer Beautiful Humans. I want to know why do they, and what's the answer to the first one in that order? <laughs> okay, uh, the title of that book was also the title of a study that won an Ig Nobel Prize. It was oh, done God, it was by serious? A team of three scientists in Stockholm, Sweden. Two of them are Swedish, one is Italian. And um, they're not quite sure why chickens prefer beautiful humans. They're just pretty sure that chickens do. They did an experiment. In our studio, all the chickens go over to Matt's side of the table. Every time. Well, I'm sorry. Someone else published before you did. So. <laughs> <laughs> and as for your, for your first question, has anyone ever won uh, an Ig Nobel Prize and a Nobel Prize? And the answer, uh, as you may know, is yes. Um, a few days ago, the uh, Nobel committee announced this year's new uh, Ig Nobel, excuse me, new Nobel Physics Prize winners. And one of them is Andre Geim, uh, who 10 years ago won an Ig Nobel Prize. Now, he, he got these two awards for very different things. 10 years ago, we gave him a prize because he and another scientist used magnets to levitate a frog. And he won his Nobel Prize because he and, and uh, yet another scientist uh, together figured out how to get samples of graphene and have done a lot of work on it. Graphene is the two-dimensional uh, crystal form of carbon. I, really I can that, levitate yeah. frogs with my magic wand. <laughs> Here, too, somebody else. <laughs> I honestly thought that Damn. Would, yeah. we should do it. <laughs> I thought you were going to say that they levitated an elephant or something, and that's what really kind of pushed the envelope for the Nobel. <laughs> <laughs> well, frog is pretty good. There are videos all over the Internet. It's really something to you're, see. So you're really a stepping stone to the Nobel Prize, right? In the sense that when you walk out your front door and you take that first step, you can walk anywhere in the world. So, yeah, your, your, your front doorstep well is a stepping stone. No, I mean the Ig Nobel. The Ig Nobel in this <laughs> that's, that's wonderful. Well, why don't you tell us about the editorial board behind these selections? Because we hear you have some really interesting people involved. Yeah, the, uh, I'll tell you how the prizes are, are selected. Anybody can send in a nomination. And we get every year something in the ballpark of 7,000 or so new nominations. Um, usually 10 to 20% of those are people who nominate themselves, although they almost never win. And the selections are made by the Ig Nobel Board of Governors, and that's the editors of the magazine, of the Annals of Improbable Research, and quite a few scientists and journalists and other people who are scattered around the world. And it's not easy to pick out just 10, I'll tell you, especially because anything that does not get selected goes back into the pool and gets considered again the next year. The pool gets huge. Yeah, 
it's enormous now. Well, well, I watched the ceremony. I was rolling off my chair. I thought it was hysterical. And uh, who Don't put... sue us, please. No, no, no. I thought it was treat, awesome. Who, treat who... your own injuries, doctor, please. <laughs> I did. I have a well-padded cell that I work out of. Um, who puts this together? Because it's really quite well done. Oh, there's a big, thank you. There's a big gang of us, and uh, it's almost all volunteers. And the people involved span the range, um, all kinds of people from all kinds of backgrounds. And uh, every year we get a little bit better because we get every year one or two more people who are very, very good at whatever their specialty is. Well, we want to know about the convicted felons. We're really interested how they get on there. Well, there's only one that I know of. Oh, okay. I wouldn't be surprised <laughs> if there right. were more. Uh, it's on the editorial board of the magazine has let's see among it's about 50 people altogether, and some like nine or ten of them have Nobel prizes, and and one is a convicted felon. Um, it's a man named Robert T. Morris, who is uh, now also tenured faculty at MIT. I noticed that doing and, operations uh, computing, and I thought, yeah. where did that come from? About. <laughs> Oh, 12 or 15 years ago, when he was a grad student, he put out one of the first worm programs on the Internet. And it crept into pretty much every computer on the Internet and shut everything down. He wasn't trying to do that, but he was trying to demonstrate that there were security problems. And he did, and people got upset, and uh, he got hauled off and convicted. Wow. And the first time, in fact, the first two or three years that we webcast the Ig Nobel Ceremony live, and we've been doing that for a long time now, but the first few years, our broadcast engineer was Robert T. Morris, and we used to, uh, I always made a point uh, when I was announcing it during the show to say, if you're watching over the internet, um, you can relax. Uh, Robert T. Morris is the broadcast engineer, and your computer is in good hands. In very good hands. Right now, now, <laughs> this, obviously, if we're interviewing you on our show, this is a pretty big deal, this award. <laughs> because we're, we're, we're an awesome show. What, wow. Was, was that, we're, <laughs> Thank we're, you for inviting me on. I'm, you're, you're welcome. Well, we actually invited you on because we want to know how we can win an award for the show. But we'll talk wow. about that after hours. Was it a slow or fast start in getting your rise to fame and popularity? Oh, fame and popularity. <laughs> Fortune, well, fame. The, um, the first year, everything just happened to work really well. Um, I had met all kinds of people, and so we, we chose a few winners, and um, somebody at MIT heard about it and uh, said, would you like to have it here? So we had a place to have it. And we put up tickets saying the first Ig Nobel ceremony will be on such and such a date. Tickets this first year are free, but you have to pick them up at uh, you know, a certain time and place. And they got snapped up, I think, within an hour or so. Um, 350 people is what we could fit in that building. And could have, there were a lot more people wanted to come. Um, I had met a few people who had these nice Nobel prizes, so I asked uh, I think four of them, if they'd like to come and help hand out the prizes, and they all said, sure, and they showed up wearing strange clothing. And a bunch of reporters came, and uh, nobody threw us out of the building, and it went well, and the next day it, it got reported all around the world. And, and the next year, because all those things had happened to work well, we could do it on a bigger scale, and every year it's gotten bigger and bigger. And when did the opera start? See, I think we wrote the first opera about 1996. We've been doing a new one every year. Uh, they're always about whatever theme we've chosen for the ceremony. So this year the theme was bacteria. Matt, we need this Matt. Paula, hire this guy for our show. We need him. <laughs> <laughs> 
We need operas here. It was nice. But, you know, it was done. Some of the singers are professional opera singers. Um, to to write this thing, I I wrote the words, and I don't really know a lot about bacteria, so I uh, consulted a lot of people who do, who have spent their life researching it. So we got a lot of good uh, personal bacteria stories in there. And some of those people were on stage, which was also very nice. You could have fooled me because you sounded like you knew all about bacteria if you were the librettist. <laughs> By the time you finish writing something, you, you know you know very well little tiny bits about the thing. It must take a lot of planning ahead of time, You know, perhaps even more than the year before, because you have to be able to put all this together and get the yeah, professional people involved. Yeah, we're working on these things year-round. Oh, yeah. And, um, yeah, I mean, it's it's a group of about 100 of us who put it together, and then there are probably another 100 people who are involved in smaller ways, too. It's uh, it's become almost a, a, a very odd but real family. Did it start off that way? I mean, how many people were we talking about when it just got lifted off the ground? Uh, first year, there were maybe 10 or 15 people involved, and um, you know, it's just, just gotten a little bigger over time. Well, one thing that has just been really getting to me, I, I've wanted to know for a while now, is if you're looking at the last 20 years, what some of your all-time favorite award winners were since lifting this whole thing off? Because There are so many, but I'll mention a few, and these are sort of at random because there have been about 200 winners now. And, and I should mention to anybody listening, if you want to see the whole list and f- get links to a lot of the details, uh, go to improbable.com. You can also see the, um, the video of the ceremony there. Um, boy, where to start? Uh, one of them was the Blonsky device. Uh, George and Charlotte Blonsky got a patent in 1965 for what they call a device to assist women in giving birth. And this device consists of a, a large round table with some machinery underneath. When the woman is just about ready to give birth, she lies on her back on the table. They strap her down and then the table is rotated at high speed, and the child is supposed to come out flying out through <laughs> centrifugal force. We have one of those in our studio right now. Do you know? We're being spun <laughs> right <laughs> now at 720 <laughs> RPM. <laughs> the, um, I love it. The, the patent is really a beautiful thing to see. The drawings are quite something, and the details are something to savor. For example, they, they talk in there uh, at one point about how the safety of mother and child is extremely important. So they put in a speed governor device to ensure that it wouldn't spin too fast. So they, I, I believe what they chose to limit it to was the maximum force that could possibly be exerted on mother or child. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. I, I have a question. Do you have like 12 OBs standing around with catcher's mitts around this table? Because you never you know when the kid's going to come out. You raise a good question. All there. angles covered. Sorry. <laughs> Which I'll get to in a second. Um, and, and if you read the patent yourself, you will, you will come out with, with many more. So anyway, they, in this thing, they explained that they limited, I think, to a maximum of about seven Gs, seven times the force of gravity. Oh, my goodness. And we've talked to people who used to be fighter plane pilots who say it's not unusual to black out around four Gs. Then you don't need an epidural. That's perfect. <laughs> Just here, we're going to black yeah. out, honey, in a few minutes. And There is a device in the original patent uh, for catching the child, and it's a small net. And uh, many people have looked at it and, and thought that that probably is not the optimal. You might need a big it. net in Matt, this case. Matt, yeah. when you have children, this is it. This is the way you're going to... No more Le Boyer yeah. underwater. The table. Absolutely, the table. The round table. <laughs> King Arthur. You <laughs> need to be the very Arthur. first night of the round, <laughs> essentially. Right. 
All right, we've got another minute or so. Give us the second place all over. Okay, well, I'm trying to stick to medicine here a little bit. The, uh, the medicine prize a year or two ago went to a team that showed that um, expensive fake medicine is more effective than cheap fake medicine. Oh, I read that one. I agree. <laughs> I agree. Great. Expensive fake doctors, too, are much more effective than cheap fake doctors. <laughs> <laughs> published on that one. This is and fantastic. There are many more. Yeah. I wanted to make sure that you could count in both your favorite and also the strangest because I knew that probably the two of them were intrinsically linked. It's very hard to choose. If you look over the list, it's it's fun for us to see people go through the list um, and talk to their friends because people get into almost violent arguments about which is the best, which is the worst, and in fact over whether some of them are good or bad or worthless or or, or valuable. Um, it's very hard to decide when you look at some of these. And it's also completely irrelevant to why they got the prize. The prize, <laughs> is, just, the prize is purely for making, for having done something that makes people laugh and then makes them think. There you have it, Matt. We make people laugh and we make them think. What do you see in the future? Do you see this being like the Emmys or Oscars on television? Prime, <laughs> prime time? Well, it's funny. We've, we've had a number of production companies... Um, asking about that, and uh, it would be nice to see someday. But on the other hand, you know, TV networks are not famous for having senses of humor that, uh, uh, <laughs> that go outside the bounds of what they've already done, and this stuff goes quite a bit outside the bounds. Mark, your show was finer quality than 99% of the garbage I've seen on television yeah. these days. We'll so be delighted to have you in our Thank you. All Fine right. quality garbage. Can I quote you on that? You Absolutely. may. Can I win a prize for that if you quote me? Okay. <laughs> Anything is possible. All Thank right. You. Our guest today has been Mark Abrahams. He is the outstandingly unique man behind the Ig Nobel Prize, whose 2010 awards were presented at a ceremony on September 30th. Mr. Abrahams, thank you for joining us on today on Second Opinion Live, and we want to cover you live next year. <laughs> oh, that'd be great. Live on our show. Thank you, guys. He was one of our best guests. Absolutely. I want him live in the studio every show. We at least need him every other show, right. if not every show, to give us an update on some of his favorite cases. And now I know why the chickens like you more. Well, you no, are I'm, much better looking than me. I am extremely good looking. All on right. that note, here's something serious. And we're going to move on to the ReachMD Forum. This is the part of the show where Michael and I usually debate some current issue in medicine, but I think we're very much in agreement today. Absolutely. It seems like every time we do this show, we're uncovering a new story about the obesity epidemic. But something we don't talk about as often is the number of people in this country who aren't getting enough to eat. One in six Americans struggles with hunger because he or she can't afford to buy enough food. The USDA estimates that 16 million children, as well as over a million households with seniors, live with hunger. So with Halloween coming up, and most of us getting ready to take in a few extra sugar calories, we're here to rally the medical community behind Feeding the Hungry with a campaign we're starting now, and we're calling Candy Plus a Can. That is right, Candy Plus a Can. It's very simple. We're asking you, when you go out to buy your Halloween candy this year, to pick up some canned goods at the same time for your local food pantry and encourage your patients to do the same thing, too. Right. There's so much disagreement in medicine about policy these days, but this is an issue that we all agree is important. You can even tell your patients to do it. And when you go trick-or-treating, ask for cans of food. This is an issue where we can really help. And we should all be asking our elected officials to do more about hunger in this country. I work here in Illinois' 6th District, and I called my congressman, Peter Roskam, who we have on the show with us now. Congressman Roskam, are you here? 
Hey, Michael, how are you? All right. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. Congressman, you have said that we can use your office as a food depositor and you're going to help spread the word. Yeah, look, um, this was prompted by, by you and I thought it was a great idea. And I think it's a very straightforward thing. You know, um, members of Congress can do it. So what we've done is we've put out the word through our, our website, roscomforcongress.com, for folks in the Chicago area that want to drop off uh, canned goods, and then we'll take them over to some of the food pantries out, out in our area. But I think, you know, something that, that as I was just listening to the two of you, as you were discussing this issue, you know, physicians have an extraordinary amount of influence on their patients. And I think if physicians who have the types of practices that invite this type of thing were to simply put a little sign up, you know, and it can be kind of a campy sign, it doesn't have to be all elaborate and glamorous, and just put a box out there, the word would travel very, very quickly, and they would be able to accumulate, um, I think, many, many pounds of food and it would be uh, a, a tremendous gesture. And then over a period of time, you know, folks start to look at that. And um, I think it's, a, it, it's an easy way to leverage a physician's office, or in my case, leverage a congressional campaign office into doing the same thing. Yeah, and it's about time everybody started to work together to help repair this country. This, I feel, is one of the ways that we can do it. Let's feed the people who are hungry here. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's very straightforward. And I think that, you know, so many times there's folks that are, that are anxious and feel overwhelmed. They don't know how to help. They're, they're, um, oh, they're just overwhelmed by events, and there's a great deal of uncertainty in the future. And you and I, uh, you know, we've talked in the past about all the drama regarding health care and where it's going and so forth. This is one, one area where there's a lot of common ground. This is an area that small gestures go a long way. This isn't to say somebody's got to go door to door, you know, door to door and put a backpack on and, and, you know, get a pickup truck and so forth. But, but the ability to basically invite folks to come along and help out can go a long way. So if they're in the Chicago, you know, if folks that are, that are physicians that are in the Chicago area or listeners want to go to roscomforcongress.com, we've got a list of places that we're going to be um, depositing the, the accumulated food. And I think based on this very small effort, we're going to be able to help and feed a lot of folks. Well, think about this. So, you know, my office is in Elk Grove Village. There's like, what, 30,000 people there. What if everybody collected one can of food? Just, just one, one can. Just one can. That's 30,000 cans of food in just one day. And what if we did this, not just started with Halloween, but just did it regularly? With all due respect, I know you're my congressman in my district, but I'm getting tired of waiting for the government to fix us. And I think we need to all work together to take steps to fix our country. And this is, I just got this driving to the office the other day. I'm, re- I'm so glad you responded. And I'm hoping that physicians across America will call their congressman and say, could you please do the same thing and send their congressman to your website to look at what you're doing and model that. And we can feed a lot of people. But I, I have to say one thing. Any cans of, like, truffles or caviar, we'd like to check those ourselves. <laughs> if you get anything like white, white truffles through there. We, we, anything that says premium quality. Premium quality. <laughs> really. Yeah. Crab meat, anything like that. And, 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 the, and the thing to the doctors and nurses and, and health professionals who are listening, encourage your kids, encourage your patients' kids. When you go trick-or-treating, this just started. We just did this in the past 24 hours and decided to do it. There's no real rules here. When you go trick-or-treating, say thank you for the candy, and do you have an extra can of food? 
carry a wagon with you, carry a shopping bag, get a couple of cans. And if there's nothing formal in your area, you can do it yourself. Wouldn't it be awesome to take your kids, find out where the food pantry is in your area, in Nebraska or California or Colorado, find out where it is yourself, take your kids there and show them that you know, this is what America is about, and this is what medicine is about, a tremendous social responsibility to take care of our patients. Do a little bit of work and feed somebody and watch the joy that you have in doing that. I know I do. When I, whenever I do something like this, I get really happy. Matt doesn't like me, but I end up liking me after this. You know <laughs> so. what? My, my prediction is that there's going to be people that are, that are responding to this call that you've made, people that are, that are, that are going to respond to this call of action, and probably the week after the week after Halloween, there, you're, you're going to get some calls, and you're going to hear from some folks that said, "Hey, let me tell you a story about you know we, we we took this down, or we we got a lot more than I ever thought, or we developed this relationship out of this, and it's starting to do to do this in the community." There's some very good and exciting things that happen, and I'm hoping we can use your influence and your name in Chicago, at least here, to get some pr- local press. We'll talk about it after the show, and and get you on the news and talking about. This this. And I think it's really nice that you're in the middle of a campaign and that you take the time to stop and give the energy to this project, which is really selfless. It's not a campaign issue. Highly under-recognized yeah, issue. I think it really says something about you. So thank you for participating. And hopefully we'll get this to the Chicago area and spread it nationally. And this is not a one-time deal. This, for me, as far as I'm concerned, is going to be a yearly deal and an ongoing deal. I'm in. Thanks for the invitation, right. Michael. Matthew, it's good to be with you. And I really appreciate both of you and uh, your leadership on this. Thank you, Congressman. All right. Good to be with you both. Thanks. So we have now on this show, very seriously, we joke a lot, but we're hoping to change America. We're hoping to bring something really good out of the show in ReachMD because this is what we stand for in ReachMD also. It's not just about the silly stories we tell or the people we interview. We're invested in our medical system and in our country and saying that we as doctors can put down our worries about what's happening in Congress and make a difference. So please help us. Absolutely. We should get proactive. And remember, in this case, contact Congress about this Candy with a Can initiative. Just contact them. So we're going to leave it there for this edition of Second Opinion Live. And thanks to both Mark Abrahams and Congressman Peter Roskam for being with us here today. I'm Dr. Matt Bernholz. And I'm Dr. Michael Greenberg. You can listen to all the programs in our series archive on our website at reachmd.com slash SOL. Look us up on Twitter and Facebook. Thank you, Paula and Tony. Thank you, Congressman Rossman. Thank you, all of you, for collecting cans on Halloween. Let's feed America.